0: Your desire to change must be greater than your desire to stay the same. On this episode, we speak with Lauren Fisher, whose battle with weight issues during adolescence eventually led her to become an associate publisher and fashion director at multiple high fashion publications. As a result of her experiences and a passion for human transformation and empowerment, Lauren now shares her expertise as a health and wellness coach with those she left behind in the corporate world and others who desire to live a healthy and balanced life. So please join us and find out that it doesn't matter where you start, it only matters where you finish.
1: There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, We open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance.
2: Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now, here are your hosts, Kim Foskey and Dr. Dana Saperstein.
0: Lauren Fisher, welcome to the Fear Me Out podcast. Thanks for being here and making the drive up from Los Angeles today. Thanks for having me. Um, What advice would you give your 15-year-old self?
2: I would tell her that she is loved exactly as is.
0: That's a good, that's a good answer. So I, I, maybe we should frame that, uh, that question and answer now for the, for the audience now that they've uh, got hooked into what's he talking about or what's she talking about it there. But um, you were an a overweight um, child growing up, correct?
2: I was starting at around eight. Um, and at 15, I was about 180 pounds.
0: And again, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but, um, so describe being a 15 year old at 180 pounds. I'm sure people can assume what that's like and and how people perceive you at that age. And, but,
2: well, so I guess I'll, I'll put it in perspective. So back in the seventies, there weren't a lot of overweight people, right? Um, and I started to gain weight at around eight or nine. I was, I went away to sleep camp and I came back and just, I guess I was medicating with food, but I didn't necessarily know that. Um, but I started to become overweight. I'm not so sure that I noticed that, but the people in my family did. Um, and it was just, it became really clear that that wasn't okay. So I just remember around probably like 10 or 11 there was clearly, like, delineated in the kitchen, like, two sets of food. My brother was thin and small and could eat whatever he wanted, and I was the overweight kid who couldn't. So there was sort of my food and his food. So I guess at that point, it just became clear that I didn't really fit it, you know?
1: Who was the weight enforcer in your family?
2: I mean, I guess... You know, I think, I think it was hardest for my mom, your honestly. Mom. Yeah, because yeah. my mom was always really thin, so, you know, I think I'm sure for her it was hard to watch her daughter be overweight. You know, my dad, my dad was probably average size, but he he fluctuated more.
1: And was he upset also, or is it mostly your mom?
2: You know, I think it was, I, my feeling was it was just unacceptable in the family, honestly. And then, you know, the grandparents would come over and there would be sort of sidebar conversations of like, oh, is she eating that? Or she's eating a lot. Like there was a lot of that <coughs> is is my recollection of it, right? Which was, ooh, or we'd go, my mom and I would go shopping and it would be like, oh, she's size 14 now, you know? And, and I remember, I mean, I think the hardest thing for me was- in the dressing room, you know, I have, I have such memories of just sitting on the floor and crying because stuff just didn't fit, you know, and I didn't like trying on clothes and I didn't look like my friends, you know, now you look around and there's just a lot of people in all shapes and sizes, but back then there really weren't, you know, there was, most people were sort of average athletic fit, even at that age.
0: Were you, were you an active child? I mean, this is apparently this isn't potentially hereditary, right? Your mom wasn't overweight, your Mm-mm. brother wasn't overweight, your dad was average size. Um, so this was more of a, a food lack of activity.
2: I would say it was a food thing because I I think there was restriction going on, right? So in my mind, I was also I was having hyperactivity issues young, so. I was loud, you know, and I had trouble sitting still. And there was a lot of like, she's too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I remember eight, nine, I was put on Ritalin. So it started there. And so I wasn't allowed to have sugar. So, you know, once there was this sort of rule, right, which was she can't have that. Then all of a sudden, as a child, you want that, right? Right. You just want to be able to be like everybody else. And so I think, I think it was probably more about that, wanting to be like everyone else.
0: How did you break away from that constriction? If, if you had the, for lack of a better term, the food police at home, how did you get the extra calories?
2: Well, Or, or
0: the foods that you desired you wanted to eat?
2: Well, going over to people's houses, but also I went to boarding school. So I went to boarding school at 13. So it was at that point when I started to realize that just because I could eat anything I wanted whenever I wanted to eat it, that that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. I think when I went went away to school, I had a little bit more perspective and I was able to sort of look at myself and be like, okay, now I have to actually learn how to look the way I want to look. Because I never really... To me, I wasn't really taught how to fuel and nourish my body. I don't think anyone was, but, like, really mm. understanding that, like, our bodies don't know how to digest processed food. I mean, I had a stomach ache a lot, and I didn't know that that wasn't normal because it really wasn't stuff that was talked about at home. You know, like, how's your digestion? How do you feel? Right? Like, I didn't know. So, you know, starting to, when I was away at school, what I did was I just was able to deal with portions So I would eat half of everything. And so that was, I was literally like half a Snickers bar, half of, you know, this chicken, half of this rice. And so that's how I controlled it in the beginning. Does that answer the question?
0: It it, it does. Um, So you went to boarding school from 13 through the rest of the the formal years of education at that Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Um, When did, you said you started having more body image issues when you were around 15 and when you were saying you were in the dressing room stuff didn't fit you were on the floor crying
2: i would say at 15 i was at my highest weight so that's when i was 180 pounds i mean i probably didn't look at myself naked from the time i was 10 like there was no interest in my body at all period
1: by from you
2: yeah I mean as a as a woman, it's sort of like you're born, you know, and then someone's like, This is your body and don't touch it. There's yeah. not like a lot of for me anyway, there wasn't a lot of sort of what is this? Like I just I was I think I just dissociated from it, honestly.
1: Do you remember how much shame that you felt? Sorry, Sagan? Shame. How much shame that you felt?
2: I mean, I can call it shame now. Yeah. <laughs> But at at the time, it felt more like embarrassment, right? Like it just felt like I was different from everybody else, you know? And so, you know, I didn't, I don't know, I don't know, I didn't understand it. There was nobody to talk to about it, honestly. It was like a very sort of dark place for me.
1: Even though it occupied pretty much most of your waking moments or no?
2: It's hard to remember if it occupied, I mean, what occupied a lot of my time is I wish I looked different. Oh, okay. Right? So if I, maybe I would, if I lost weight, I would have a boyfriend. If I lost weight, I would have more friends. If I lost weight, I would have more fun. If I lost weight, I'd look cute in a bikini. If I, right, there was, there was a lot of when that happens, all of these other things will happen. There was no part of me that understood that there was something else really cool happening inside of me. I just want it to be different.
0: Did you have any other physical or mental manifestations at all while you were going through this and this realization in terms of either depression? You talked about the constant stomach ache of eating processed food all the time, but I'm interested if there was anxiety, depression, or anything that that also augmented part of this
2: Honestly, I don't think so. I think what really happened was that I was In this process of developing the other parts of myself right because I wasn't the cutest person in the room and I wasn't the most athletic person in the room and I wasn't the smartest but what I could start to be was thoughtful I think I thought you know I I started to be funny I started to I think be interested in people I mean I've been an extrovert my whole life so just liking By extrovert, I mean that I refueled my energy around people. So boarding school was a good place for me. I learned community. I learned, you know, if I think about probably what was most important for me that I still say a lot now is we're not meant to do this life alone. I felt very alone in my childhood because I didn't have anyone around me saying, like, we get that that's hard. You know, but when you were in community in boarding school, you're around people and I had a lot of friends. And so it was a nice experience, you know, to be in tribe and to have people in my room like, Hey, can I borrow that sweater? And so, no, I don't, I don't think there was other manifestations except that, that there was a lot of dissociation going on, honestly.
0: So you weren't ostracized at all during the boarding school time at all for being overweight and.
2: Mm-mm. I really wasn't. No. I mean, for me, it was, it was just challenging. But I ha- I mean, no, I had a lot of friends that are still my closest friends to this day.
1: That's actually fairly unusual. Most of the time, if you're different than the children around you, they come after you big time.
2: Well, I was 180. I wasn't. For a hundred pounds. You know what yeah. I mean? So I, yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? I think And also at boarding school was different because you really like spent more time getting to know people. Right? Okay. Like you were in like deep in community.
1: Was it a co ed or a, yeah? Or, yeah? It was coed. Mm-hmm. Was well, it your choice to go?
2: Yes. My parents were getting divorced and I, I honestly think it was hard for me to be at home. I really do so you know at that point it seemed it seemed like the right decision and i'm and I'm actually glad to this day that I went there because I learned a lot about socialization.
0: I really did so what was the breaking point for you when when did you have the the kind of turnabout and in, in terms of body image and, and losing weight and becoming more healthy?
2: I mean, I think, so that was probably junior year in high school when I started to sort of think like, wait a minute, even though I had been, so I had been on a million diets. I had been, you know, to the diet center and Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and, and they all work, right? But the problem is you go back to eating the way you were eating before and, right, so... I didn't know how to eat and I was aware of that and I think I wanted to lose weight in high school and it was probably before college
0: I think. Were the diet those diet um, programs were those your choice or from your parents or a mutual decision?
2: No it's funny my mom and I still talk about this to this day I don't think they were my choice Mm. at all um I I remember being taken to the diet center and I remember being given food that really tasted like cardboard and thinking like, this is a bad idea. I mean, it was, there was a lot of, to me, it was diet food or regular food. Like diet food tasted like cardboard and styrofoam and regular food tasted great. That was it. Like, I only knew that. So, I mean, there was, listen, there was a lot of experimenting with diets over the years. But the breaking point in high school was... Maybe this is up to me. Like maybe I can actually take responsibility for how I look and feel. And I've had a lot of those probably sort of, I I think I've hit my knees probably many times in my life about taking responsibility for my own life and my own happiness. But I think that was the first one, probably. Uh, That's
0: pretty advanced for that age to actually take responsibility for what's happening to you.
2: Yeah, I just took responsibility for my weight, though that was it. It's okay. <laughs> I was going to say
1: that's a lot of. That's a, just
2: that's to be clear, liar. like I wasn't uh-huh. taking responsibility for everything. I'm glad you. Cla- <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you clarified. Oh yeah, that. for sure. No, no, no. There was still a lot of like anger. Yeah, there. I wasn't. I wasn't evolved at all at fifteen.
1: Do you think that some of the purpose that food served? You just mentioned your parents were getting a divorce. Was a way of comforting yourself in the con in the. Was there a lot of conflict at home before that period of time before they separated?
2: Yes. And for sure, food was medication. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel so, you know, when you grow up heavy, you, as far as I was concerned, if I lost weight, I got love. And if I gained weight, they took it away. So Mm. to me, I was learning conditional love really early. Because yeah. I didn't feel accepted by my family of origin at all. You know, my brother was allowed to make fun of me for being fat. I mean, he would say, like, he would call me a cow, he would moo, and he was, you know, that that's what happened. You know, and I don't remember him getting in trouble or that being, you know, a problem. So... For sure I was using food as medication. I wasn't aware of it back then, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't using food as fuel <laughs> the way that, you know, I teach my clients now. For sure that was not the model. Yeah.
0: So you took you took personal responsibility for for your weight issue. Um what transpired after that? Did, did you did you immediately start losing weight? Mhm. Body image positive. Oh God, no. No. Oh no.
1: <laughs> let's not get carried away, huh?
2: Yeah, let's not. Yeah. No, I mean that I always tell people, and I feel like that's a journey, not a destination. Like there is no like ta-da. <laughs> right? There's there's a road, right, of starting to be an acceptance for who we are and what we're doing. I mean, I think no. I mean, it was responsibility for sure, body positivity. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. There was no time where I was looking in the mirror and like, you're killing it. I don't, I don't think that I understood compassion or self-compassion back then. I, didn't, I don't even know if I was proud of myself except for the fact that I sort of kept going because when you learn that when you lose weight, you get love, and when you gain weight, you lose love, you do the same thing to yourself. Right. So what's happening at the same time is that I'm praising myself for losing weight and beating the crap out of myself when I gain weight. Right. So what's also happening up here, and I'm not aware of that dialogue at that age at all, you know, but the dialogue is is main, Right. Because that's what I learned. You know,
0: did you have a boyfriend in uh, boarding school?
2: Yes. And do you want a yes or no answer? Or do you want like I, no? I was gonna, Chinese I was gonna give you
0: a follow up question to that okay, as go. well. So yes was perfect. Yes, um, non conditional love or conditional love from him as well.
2: I mean, it's so because hard. we
0: usually fall back into the familiar pattern, right? Because you're used to what your parents are either giving or withholding, and we see, tend to choose that if that's what our norm is, we tend to choose that in a partner, especially early on, even though you were aware of a little bit more advanced at taking responsibility, but, you know, the love is love, right, in that way, whether it's good I or mean, bad. at
2: 15, love doesn't look like love, right? I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if you're, if you're asking, I was, I was in healthy-ish relationships. I was, um, But I was also in codependent relationships. I mean, I was looking for, you know, all sorts of outside validation, right? So if it, if he liked me, then I was validated, which meant that I was doing something right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't, was it unconditional love? No, no. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's another road, right? Like that's a journey too.
0: So you end up graduating boarding school, moving on to to college. And and if I remember the story correctly, you were an athlete in college.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about your college experience.
2: I think college was a good place for me because, you know, boarding school, you're young and you're learning how to live in community. So I had gotten that out of the way a little bit. I mean, a lot of people get to college and they start drinking and doing drugs and they're like off the rails. I mean, I was off the rails younger. So by the time I got to college, I think I was, you know, I was more specifically trying to figure out what I was doing in the world. Yeah, I mean, I started rowing crew, which was helpful just to be probably more in my body. So I think because, as I said to you, like I, I sort of exited my body really young. And so I think that was one of the first times where I was able to come back to the body. Mm-hmm. And I think sport is also one of those places where you learn probably exercise as stress relief, and so that was also new to me, and I started to realize, even though I don't think I could have verbalized it then, I started to realize probably how powerful the mind is, right, in terms of being able to get through things, right, whether it was like running long distances or waking up and it was, you know, 30 below and we had to run to the boathouse and get in the boat, you know, stuff I couldn't do in LA now.
1: Um, One of the things I've noticed um, in my clinical practice with people that have struggled with food is that um, there's a lot of trauma in their background. But it doesn't sound like that's the case necessarily for you in a traditional sense in that um, a lot of people that I've worked with have had sexual trauma as an example. So they realize that they gained weight in order, because in our culture, if you have a lot of weight, people don't look at you with sexual interest, generally speaking. So it feels safe. And I I know that this is not something that people recognize always consciously, but when they start to lose weight, you would think you would feel better. But usually what people describe to me is they start to feel really anxious because people are starting to direct sexual energy toward them. And I've noticed that that's one of the main reasons why diets fail is not because there's anything wrong with the diet, but because when you start to get to the place where you start feeling at least more comfortable with yourself, other people start to look at you with desire and if you have sexual trauma in your background, it's something you want to get rid of as quickly as possible because it makes you feel so uncomfortable. And then you have to you know, deal with the predatory sort of feelings that go along with being looked at as a sexual object. That doesn't sound like that was part of your situation. Is that correct?
2: Not at all. Not at all. Go I mean, ahead. I understand what you're saying, right? Overweight is overlooked. Right. Right? Um, so no, def- definitely not my situation but i think i i don't yeah i don't i don't know how to answer it i mean no that that was not that was not my situation i definitely had a difficult relationship with food okay that's the easiest way to
1: i remember once before my wife and i got married we went to the south pacific and uh, went to fiji and samoa and tonga and their notions of beauty are so different than what we have here in the United States. And we were in a restaurant one morning having breakfast. My wife got up to use the restroom, and the waiter came up to me, and he said, is your wife dying? And I said, no, she's actually really healthy. Everything's fine. Do you not feed her? Because my wife is very tall and thin, and they were absolutely certain that I was somehow starving my wife and not taking proper care of her because of how how thin she was. I was so blown away by the... um, the notion that they were looking at her, you know, like there's something really, really wrong with her <laughs> and, and, and that, you know, it was my fault as the man that I was somehow starving her. Well, it is. It was such an odd experience. Anyway, I, 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 it's just so amazing to me how different, different cultures and parts of the world look at at body image in that way. But you grew up in the United States. So naturally you're going to be subject to the, to the notions that people are going to look at you as an object from the beginning of your life, being a woman. Do you, do you recognize that? Did you knew, know it as a kid or not necessarily?
2: No, I did. I mean, I, I watch, I always watched my dad objectify women. Mm-hmm. I watched my dad look at women Yeah. a lot, and I watched my dad comment on women and how they looked.
1: So he would say it out loud.
2: Yeah, and so their bodies, like he would say that my friends were pretty. Or thin. So, so you, yeah. You
1: definitely got the message, maybe in an underhanded way.
2: No, I got the message. Wow. I got the message from both of them for sure. Okay. Differently, but yes. The message was very clear and 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 received. But you know, when that's the message, you want to then, you know, we're mammalian, right? Like we want to be accepted by our family of origin, right? Yeah. We want them to be proud of us. Sure. So for me what would have made them proud of me was losing a bunch of weight. Did your
0: relationship with food change then in college? I mean, it it started obviously like you had talked about in in boarding school, but, you know, when you're an athlete and and going through those type of workouts, that type of competition, having, you know, nutritionists and and other people at at your back and call at that point, did did it change then or – you still keep old
2: habits. Oh, God. I mean, no, it didn't. It changed in that I could eat more. Um, and it got better in terms of like understanding how to lose or, you know, I, I think work with my body. But I it was, it's been, a that part has been a really long road, honestly. It's been a really long road. So, you know, and because, because then I graduated from college and I worked in fashion.
1: What, so, did, what, what did you do in the fashion world?
2: So I worked, I worked in advertising. So then I, I worked at magazines. So I worked at Elle. I worked at Glamour. I worked at Allure. I worked at Jane. So then you're around a whole, as you were talking about with your wife, right? You're around a whole other sort of beauty.
0: It's interesting that we're talking to somebody that had body imagery and, and weight issues that in, end up working at some of the top fashion magazines in the United States if not in the globe
2: Um, maybe not by happenstance correct I don't think so at all I mean I think about it now right and I think about like my entire sort of world and how it's been and it all makes sense to me it all makes sense now so yeah I mean I think I needed to be really up close to that to understand I mean at that point what I loved about fashion was transformation was was watching people put on something and feel better, right? Or feel more confident or beautiful. And I felt that way myself, right? Like being in designer showrooms and having people dress us, and you know, going to the Met Gala, and that was amazing, right? And having your hair and makeup done, and having someone put you, you know, in this stunning outfit. I mean, you felt pretty. Um, And so I think that was my sort of first sort of understanding of transformation. It was outside transformation, obviously, um, but I appreciated it. But I also needed to be up close to women that were, you know, very tall and very thin and, you know, eating paper for lunch, which I didn't know. I mean, I had, I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know that they actually don't eat. You know, a lot of models drink coffee and... Smoke cigarettes and eat paper because paper expands. Like in your... real paper. Real paper.
1: So you're not you're not being facetious when you. Say no, not
2: it. at all. No, no, it's because it's it, like if you think about paper it's fibrous. Mache, yeah, if you think about paper mache. Hey, no, I'm it takes up volume in your stomach. Gives you a feeling of
0: fullness. I think
2: Kim's eaten it before. Have you had?
0: I have not had paper. Okay. No. But... <laughs>
2: all you gotta I, I, do is eat rice I, I, i've readily admitted to
0: most everything already She's in 20 podcasts but paper is not one i have to admit to we have time so yeah we have time come back at episode 40 maybe i'll there we go come out of the paper closet I need
1: the sunday paper this morning yeah
2: but i think it was being yeah it was being up close to that right and and seeing because i always thought that thin meant you were happy right because what else like what else do you want right, right. you just want to be thin and pretty, like ta-da right Mm -hmm. and then I saw it and I was like oh wow this isn't this doesn't look fun at all and everyone's talking about what they look like all day long and no one cares about what they're saying there's no there's not like oh my god she's cool or she's funny it's just like over there (laughs) right like there's Angelina or there's you know and and they're stunning but that's that's it you know and so all of a sudden I was like oh wow like I don't I don't know if that's the goal anymore,
0: you know? Were you constantly under pressure or feeling pressure on yourself by being in that world? Because it wasn't until probably in the last decade or so that we've accepted or we're trying to accept in America different body standards and that beautiful is not just being tall and thin and eating paper.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I felt under pressure. I mean, when you're in, when you're working in the magazine world, you know, you're, you're doing layout, you know, every month and it's all up on the wall. Right. And so you're seeing it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of, I, I think you're feeling it, right. You're thinking this is, this is the standard of beauty for sure. I felt pressure.
0: Did you continue to tie your validity and credibility to how you look?
2: Yes. I wish I could say that I didn't then, but I did. Absolutely. Because I think, again, if we go back to our family of origin, I think we're still we're still trying to get those people... To like us. To yeah. Love so, us. And be proud of us, right? Like, I know I'm still the six-year-old on the diving board sometimes, right? The look mom, look mom. Like, I see it now, right? So, I'm sure back then I didn't have you know, the wisdom and knowledge I have now. But yeah, I mean, I know, I know especially because my parents were divorced. My dad was living in Manhattan. He was, you know, a young TV producer and he was dating really attractive younger women, right? So in order to, in order to have him...
0: It's almost like a competition, right? You're competing?
2: Maybe. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see that. What I, what I saw was... I wanted I wanted him to find me attractive, right? Because the opposite was true when I was younger, right? Because I didn't I didn't feel like people were saying, "You look beautiful as is."
0: So did the did the magazine role in, in fashion kind of lead to where you are today, in, in terms of the the passion and career that you've taken on and in in, in- evolve the, the transformation process for other people?
2: I think so, yes. Yes. I mean, I my last job in magazines in New York was Shape Magazine, the exercise magazine. So I was running advertising and marketing for Shape and we were selling it. I was under contract. I was also in the process of getting divorced. So that's when I... I mean, and I was probably the most unhappy I've ever been at that point. So that's when, yes, everything changed.
0: And, and unhappy just because of the relationship? Or unhappy just with yourself personally, the relationship and everything that was going on in life?
2: Yeah, all, all, so all of it. I think the truth is I probably did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. I was for sure shot out of a cannon. Got the job I was supposed to get. You know, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. Which is, you know, everyone's kind of like, "When are you getting married? When are you getting married? How is this the guy? Is that the guy? Oh, are you guys getting married? And then, are you going to have kids? Do you want to have kids? There's a lot of that that's happening. Um, so, you know, I got married.
0: I think I was forty.
2: Like, and so when my marriage ended, I was. I, I really at that point, had to take stock in, okay, like, if none of this is working, this was, you know, another sort of pivotal point, which was, okay, it's, it's your responsibility. If you want to be happy, then you need to figure out what that looks like. And you need to make it, create it.
0: Yeah, you and I had had that discussion prior about how we have this kind of life that we've curated in our head. Whether that's fantasy or whatever, but we have this grand thing. And like you said, that you've had a lot of things that, that happened for you in a very positive way, had a great career and, and so on and so forth. But what happens when that that fantasy doesn't become reality anymore? And then the, the world kind of crumbles and then it's like, you know, who do you point fingers at other than yourself? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think we do, I think a lot of us, if not most of us, do have this kind of curated thing in our head, and we're so disappointed when that doesn't happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and I don't think a lot of people, or like you, take that personal responsibility, because it's just so much easier to project upon somebody else or something else that was the reason, the cause, and the effect of what has happened to you. So Which,
1: how did you come forward from that um that difficult time in your life? How did how, I mean did, what did you do to change the way you were feeling and cuz you have a different career now, you have a whole different life than you did. Yeah. At that yeah, time. you're a
0: Californian now. Congratulations. Thank
2: you. Yeah. Thank uh, you. I so know smoke's
0: of, coming out of your ears now, but but by me saying <laughs> that, but.
2: No, I, lo- I mean, come on. I live here. I love it. I love it. I really do. You know, I think so much of it was about you know, what is it, for me, what is it you want for your one most magical life, you know, and living in New York City, it's it's a really hard place to live, It's it is, you know, it's small space, you go from your apartment box, to your elevator box, to the subway box, to your office box, you have to work a lot, you know, to be to, able, to be able to afford that life, then you leave on the weekends, right? And there's, there was a lot, I think, wrapped up in wanting to be successful in New York. But I think you do get to that point where you're like, is this it? Like, what is happening, right? And also, it doesn't feel good, right? Back to that same conversation, which is like, if it doesn't feel good, what does? You know, for me, nature has always been really healing. The beach is really healing, you know, the sun, vitamin D feels really good to me, just being outside. And I didn't, I wasn't able to do that in New York. So.
1: So was there any formal transformation that took place or was it just a gradual? um,
2: So you're asking sort of what happened? Yeah, I mean, you you said you were at the lowest point in your life. I'm just wondering
1: how you got from that low place to the changes that you've, you know, that you instituted for yourself.
2: Well, the first thing I did was move 3,000 miles away. Oh,
1: okay. So that was a big part of the trip. Yeah. So the
2: first thing was move 3,000 miles away and then be like, yeah, wherever you go, there you are. Right? So I was still, I think I was still dealing with a lot of my own stuff. I had, at that point, I had my nutrition certifications. So I knew I was going to do something else. But I also still had a lot of healing to do. So, you know, in there was ayahuasca. Burning Man, India, there was a, there was a lot of seeking and there's still, I mean, there's still a lot of seeking for sure. Um, But I think in terms of starting to take responsibility, turning inwards and figuring out who I want to be and how I want to feel, it started there. I mean, moving to Los Angeles was a big part of kind of being ready to, again, take responsibility for my life and figure out what I wanted. You know, what, what was my legacy? I think that was, you know, I think the first, we talked about this, the first part of my life was really money and power, you know. And then I, I kind of was like, eh, that, doesn't, that doesn't feel right, you know. And so it really, it started, for me, it started to become about liking who I was being, you know, and liking who I was being more, you know.
1: So how did that transition into becoming a professional? person that helps people.
2: Um, Well, so I, I mean, I did come out to LA and I was still in school. So I was getting a degree in holistic health and healing and I had another job. I was running revenue for a company in San Francisco. Um, And I just, it was, it was not great. That experience was not great. And I was kind of like, okay, I need, I need to do it. I need to start my own business. And I had, at that point, I had a pretty good idea of what it would look like to be a health coach oh, okay. that helped people with their relationship with food, their relationship with the body and exercise, and their relationship with the mind and meditation. So I was, I understood the power of the mind. I think you know, in the in the very beginning, I had this sort of idea for it was a it was a twelve week program that was. You know, it was really around around mindfulness.
1: And how much did your intuition sort of play a part in all of this development?
2: I, my intuition has always been a big part of everything. I think I'm okay. I'm starting to listen to it more. So it was a big part. I mean, I had, a co- I had a business coach and then I had another coach during the whole time because there was a huge part of me that was, you know, freaking out. And every time I talked to somebody about what mm-hmm. I was going to do, they were sort of like, how are you going to make money as a coach, right? Or how are you going to have health insurance? You know, there was, everybody was sort of having their fears with my fears. Sure. So, I, I mean, I had to keep sort of pushing that away. The fear part, you know, understanding. And I think at that point I did, my intuition was better. And I understood that everybody was having their experience with my experience, Right, And that's kind of how we are as humans, right? I have my experience and then you have your experience of whatever that is, mm-hmm. right? And I remember when I was planning my wedding and everybody was weighing in on, you should own, you should have a sit-down dinner. And I was like, well, I want appetizers. Mm-hmm. And then they would be like, well, you can't do that because then blah, 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 people won't pay, people won't give you money. And so it was a strange experience. And then I realized like everybody was having their wedding at my wedding, right? <laughs> And, and, and the same, right? Whenever we have relationship issues, everybody is giving us relationship advice from their relationship experience because we can really only give advice based on our own experience, mm-hmm. right? So at that point, I started to realize that I think it was better for me to slow down and listen to my inner voice, even if it wasn't loud, okay. right? And to help people slow down and listen to their inner voice because i don't know what people should eat and how they should exercise and how they should live their lives but they do if they listen
1: so you teach them how to listen
2: i do hopefully yeah i mean i I help them i help people turn inwards yes yeah
0: so how'd you get there yourself we we, we kind of glossed over that that whole transformation piece from from Lauren herself.
2: You mean how did I get to be an expert? <laughs> no, well,
0: you know how I, I think. How did you get to that point of clarity? We've we, we've talked about this on the podcast before. So we've had other people talk about their own transformation process and, and kind of doing that conscious introspection. I know you've mentioned ayahuasca and, and other things that are that I think probably a lot of people that are listening un, either know the term or, or or understand it or have done it but conscious introspection is not something that you do over a weekend no right and you chose to move across the country uh, i'm assuming you probably had some friends in los angeles and family in, and family in, in los angeles and then it wasn't closing your eyes and your finger fell on santa monica but mm-hmm. uh um but can you talk a little bit more about your own personal transformation process to, to where you, and I, I don't want to assume, but it sounded like from your answers that you did achieve this clarity at some point that, okay, this is, I know what I need to be doing and I know who I need to be working with at this point, And I know what's going to make me happy or at least fulfilled.
2: Yes. Um, I think meditation has been a huge part of that. So, starting to listen to the mind starting to realize that like the mind is really just a bad neighborhood that we don't really want to go in at night by ourselves right like it's it's starting for me it was getting clear on that can be changed that program that is set you know and runs you know can be reined in right that the mind makes a way better servant than a master and that For years, I was just sort of listening to kind of what it was saying, which is like, you should get married because you're going to be alone, or you should take this job because you're never going to have money, or you should, you know, be afraid to move because you'll never make any friends, or you're too old to quit your job and start over, and sort of saying, like, you know, not to quote Wayne Gretzky, but we miss 100% of the shots we don't take, right? And at that point, I was kind of like, you know what? I think that it is really important to try this and I I understood enough about you know I hesitate to say clarity because it's it really is a journey and and I don't need to be that far ahead of my clients to guide them on their journey but you, you had
0: clarity at the time though for sure yeah
2: yeah clarity on being a different kind of health coach I think in that you know, it would really be around mindfulness, right? Helping people. I am I'm never going to tell people that a salad tastes better than pizza because it doesn't, right? Like that isn't the way to go, you know? And the truth is that, you know, we were created to crave foods that are high in sugar, salt, and fat because early man ate every five days. So he needed the food that had the highest amount of calories to sustain his energy, Right, we eat every five minutes now, but that doesn't mean that we don't crave the pizza. Right. And so what I do is help people understand that our bodies don't know how to digest processed food. And now dairy because of how our cows are being farmed. And so, you know, it's helping them realize that when they eat real food, they feel better. Right. And so it is this layer of mindfulness around what makes us feel feel better so that we can be healthy and then happy and then whole, right? It's, it is a a combination of that, right? So really teaching people how to nourish and fuel their bodies first. And so I had to do that, right? I had to start to understand my body and how it worked, right? To, to have that clarity. I had to really learn how to work with my mind. And also I started to use exercise as stress relief. It was a, that was a big part for me.
0: I want to go back to something Dana had said a little bit earlier about your intuition because you had also said that when you are talking about your wedding, you were talking about other events in your life about this doesn't sit right with me. This is not who I am, right? And while you were talking about how, you know, we don't want to go into the dark side of our mind, you know, it's a scary place, Right. I, I totally, totally resonates with me because it, it's the conscience and the subconscious that, that, that wants to always override the intuition. Um, so, when you were talking about how something didn't sit right with you, you know, that's because you weren't listening to your intuition. Yeah. Right? So, how does intuition play a, a role in the coaching that you do with your clients and getting them to kind of understand their mind's going to go to a certain place, but your body, and your inner gut's going to be your best navigator.
2: Yeah. So does my intuition play a role with
0: Well, I want to talk about your own intuition. You talked about a little bit now that you're understanding it more and starting to listen to it more and, and just wanted to know if that plays a role in, in how you work with your clients as well.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think what, what I try to do is I try to meet people where they are. And I think, you know, so much of my job is really holding space for whatever experience they're having. And I'm not, I'm not here to fix or solve. And if I give them enough space, what they can do is figure out what they need at that moment, right? I think part of it is like, you know, the human condition is we want to like solve everyone's problems. We want to fix right? Like, oh my God, the traffic is terrible. Oh, you should take the da-da-da to the da-da-da to the whatever, right? Like whatever version of that, right? Or I don't feel well, you should eat this and that. Or, you know, your cholesterol is high, you should only have that. You know, there's, there is this, this sort of human thing that we do, which is like, I'm going to solve your problem for you. And so, you know, helping people to come back to their intuition, to their body, to their home, you know, is hopefully what I do do, right? So that they learn what feels good. I mean, in terms of like the the overall curriculum, I mean, they do, they all have food plans and, you know, we're eating as many whole foods as possible and I balance their macronutrients. And so they're not really spending too much time thinking about that. And they do eat fiber-rich diets, you know, and we are working on lowering cholesterol and blood pressure, You know, and as far as exercise, they all have exercise plans and they all have schedules. And and then, you know, as far as life, it's the same. But what I would say is like for them and for me, the overriding principle in everything I do is really forethought. So forethought is the antidote to impulsive behavior and distraction. So like planning, right? whether it's planning food or putting exercise on the calendar or thinking about how you want to feel the next morning after a good night's sleep there is ways for me to help them set them self like set them up for success but in terms of like what's actually going on with them my intuition is more i think about helping them turn inwards does that answer the
0: question sure It does. Is there a typical client that you work with or the typical characteristic of a client that you work with that comes to seek your service?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say most of them are really busy corporate. I mean, I came out of corporate. So a lot of the people that I work with are people that are really busy, haven't necessarily had time to, you know, learn how to take care of themselves. A lot of the men are, you know, hard-charging CEOs, CTOs, have a family, you know, and never really prioritized food. Exercise, they think, is potentially selfish because they're at work a lot, and that would be taking time away from the family, right? And, you know, right now, I would say that there is... So to answer your question, it's it's like men and women in their sort of forties, fifties, sixties. I have one client in her seventies. Um, most of them are are pretty successful. I think everybody's dealing right now with issues, sleep, stress, and technology addiction, which is like sort of this next level of health coaching that is I think changed probably post the pandemic.
0: So you work with a fairly intelligent client population then. Um, One would assume that an intelligent person would know how to exercise. They would know that they would need to get sleep. They would know that eating good, wholesome, whole food would be, be the right thing to do and that, you know, calories in, calories out and how to maintain weight and go see your doctor and get blood tests and so on and so forth. But that doesn't seem to be, that seems to be the exception and not the rule anymore. Um, and, and again, going back to how we began this discussion, because I'm a little older than you, but, you know, that still 60s and 70s generation, when processed food started coming and, and it was trying to help the housewife at that point become more efficient and not have to cook every day, um, I certainly wasn't raised on, on what today's standard would be of healthy eating, but eventually through athletics and, and everything else, I, I figured it out that way. Um, it, it, it's, in, it's always interesting to me to know that that wellness industry or the diet industry is this multi-billion dollar thing when it doesn't seem to be that difficult to figure out what you need to do.
2: Yeah. Well, so it's, it's super layered. Um, the food industry is a huge problem. Obviously, eighty percent of the food in the supermarket is not food. Our food companies are. That's owned- why you have to shop
0: the outer perimeter and not the <laughs> and not the middle. No, I'm no, serious, hundred percent. Because all the the middle of the store is all processed foods and frozen foods. That's where they put it all. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, that's right. But people don't people don't know that, right? So N- 80- now we're
0: not going to get a uh, a grocery store to sponsor the podcast by me saying this. But <laughs> yeah, they're
1: going to be like. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Right. I mean, so 80% of the food in the supermarket isn't food. The tobacco companies own the food companies, and they know way more about addiction than we could ever know, right? So they're creating food in a lab that is the intersection of sugar, salt, and fat, right? So we talked about before that we were created to create foods that are high in sugar, salt, and fat. So they're in a lab making a Dorito, right? Right. And that Dorito is also going to run out of flavor because they need you to eat another one, right? So, I mean, my first- need you to eat a bag of them. Exactly. (laughs) My first experience watching food scientists on 60 Minutes, they were in an orange grove tasting oranges. And one of them said, this won't work. The flavor lasts too long. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's it. Like, there's no way that we can possibly outsmart them, Right there's that. And then there's also that healthy food's more expensive, right? So there's a combination of a bunch of things in terms of education. It really, it, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too into the economic stuff, but there's, there's a lot of levels of education around food. I also tell people that it's very simple, but it's not easy, right? So in other words, We're, we don't have the same kind of time we had when all of us grew up. We have now, because of the way that we do work, we have what is more like time confetti. Five minutes here, 10 minutes here, 20 minutes here, right? We don't, the kids don't come home after school anymore and just go out and play. They're on their devices, right? We're we're literally comparing ourselves to 8 billion people at any given moment. Right. So there's a lot, there's a lot layered in, no, we didn't learn the importance of how to fuel and nourish our bodies. I don't think anyone learned, I didn't learn sleep at all. I mean, in my twenties, I definitely felt like I'll sleep when I'm dead for sure. Like there was no, there was no understand. I mean, I wear a sleep tracker. All my clients wear a sleep tracker. I can see what level of stress is existing in people's bodies. But now we've got a lot to fight with, right? Like those devices are simulating daylight. Blue light simulates daylight, wakes the body up, right? Our bodies are built, we're we're on circadian rhythm. We're meant to wake up with the sun and we're meant to go to bed with the sun. People are going to bed at midnight. They're missing all of their restorative sleep, right? So there's a whole lot happening in terms of now, right? What we should do. But there's a, I think there is a lot to learn. And also we're in like information overload, right? Like people are always like, oh, I read this on the internet. I read that on the internet. Should I do this? Should I do that? And also we're quick fix people right now. Like
0: wave the magic wand, make yeah. it better.
2: Yeah. I mean, all during the pandemic, people were wearing masks, watching way too much television, drinking way too much alcohol, not exercising, and watching the news, right? Because the CDC didn't say, hey, go outside, exercise, get vitamin D, eat real food, right. and you'll strengthen your immune system. No, they said wear a mask. So we're not really getting the messages anymore because I just feel like we have way too much information out there.
1: What about the notion that your warmth and um, uh, and your manner is very engaging, And so I'm assuming the people that come and work with you feel like they're not alone in their, uh, whatever it is that they're looking to face in their life. Because my experience is that um, we're, we're brought up not to rely on other people to help us. And that's a source of shame. Mm. And that if you can find somebody that you feel safe with and that you trust and that you can let yourself be vulnerable with that, that helps as much as any kind of education or anything that you could tell them because they're not alone anymore. And there's somebody who actually cares about how they're doing and, and 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 maybe for the first time, some of these people actually matter to another human being. And as long as they can remember, I don't know if you think about it from that perspective. I do. Uh, but my guess would be that um, you know, like most people, you take you take what you bring to the table maybe a little bit for granted. But you're a very engaging person, and I can just imagine that your clients are like, I found a really lovely woman who's really helping me, um, and and I think that that makes as big a difference as anything certainly in the in the field that I work in half the people that become oh, I shouldn't say this out loud half the people that become therapists have personality <laughs> disorders so you know <laughs> we,
0: we, we've said worse yeah.
1: yeah so it's not a great uh, place to start so anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge the human side of what it is that you're describing because that's again something you might take for granted but in in terms of the way that you are you you're not in close a normal person in this regard. I don't know if you, Thank if you, you realize that.
2: Thank you. I mean, yeah, I think I, I think that we're not meant to do this life alone, right? And you know, going back to, we're supposed to be in tribes, right? Uh-huh. We're supposed to learn from people everywhere, right? We're supposed to yeah. be around people of different ages. We're supposed to, and. You know, I, I mean, I go back to the pandemic a lot. I'm sure you guys agree. It's like people were isolated and alone, right? Like, that's not, you know, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be ordering. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Jeff Bezos, but we're not supposed to be spending all this time ordering stuff on our phones. Like, we're supposed to be out in the world uh-huh. helping each other get better. Like, I really believe that. And so, you know, I think... Yeah, I mean, f- thank you for saying that. For me, it is not a business. It is really about walking with people and helping them feel less alone in their stories because the truth is we're all the same. Like everybody has, this, people always say to me, like, how did you know that? And I'm like- Uh, Because we all think the same way. Like (laughs) your fears are the same as his fears and her fears. And Uh right. Like wondering if people like you, like everybody feels that, Uh right? Like nobody's sitting there thinking everybody in this room thinks I'm amazing. Right. Like we all worry. Right. And we're all those little kids sometimes Mm. who felt unseen and unheard. And we all want to be loved and we all want to love. Right. And so what's, I think what's made me the most sad about how we interact with technology is the fact that we're not as present with each other.
1: Oh, well, it takes people away from each other big time.
2: Yeah, like it, that's sad to me, you know, that we don't, that we can't be really fully engaged mm-hmm. with each other, right? Because we're, I mean, I have a I have a K-safe at my house. A what? It's called a K-safe, and it's it's a phone safe and you dial oh, oh, oh. the time. <laughs> okay. The best part about this thing is you dial the time and it doesn't open until the time's up and oh. you can't break it. Oh. Like, I guess you can email the company or something. And my dad and, and my stepmom are coming next weekend for Passover. And I feel like when, with my family, they're, everybody's always on their phone, like, Oh, important text. And I'm literally going to put <laughs> put this, it in the safe. I'm going to put the safe on the f- coffee table and just say, if everyone's cool with it, like phones, In here for the next, you know, whatever, two hours while we, like, hang out as a family. It's going to be funny.
1: It's a good way to get them not to come for Passover again. Right? They'll never come over.
2: (laughs) But I I feel like it's important, right? It's important, I think, for all of us to walk next to each other, right? And to recognize that, like, part of... And I think this this was the thing for me that I think I figured out when I moved to Los Angeles, finally was that life isn't hard because we're doing it wrong. Life is hard because we're doing it right. It's just, I think our parents forgot to tell us that it was going to be hard, right? Like, I don't know if I got that memo, right? Like, I always thought, like, I'm not doing it right, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, I'll just get married. That'll solve it. or I'll just get that job or I'll just buy that house. And, like, it isn't about what's happening outside of us, right? It's about how we abandon or don't abandon ourselves in the process Uh right and so i think that that's you know where it really comes from it's and now like everyone's house is giant you know and the fences are bigger right and we don't know our neighbors anymore and we don't help each other you know and i watch people in the grocery store and i'm not going to say that i'm not one of these people but i do make an effort to leave my house without my phone more often than not because if i don't leave my house without my phone i could be on a podcast listening to i mean listening to a podcast, and food shopping. Right. So I have no idea what's happening around me. Like, I'm not in the world, right? you know? And I think a lot of people aren't in the world anymore.
1: Well, I mean, again, Kim was joking around before about when I first approached him to do the book, he said, oh, and I, I said to him, well, you know, it's not going to happen if you don't help me and we don't do it together. And I tried to make him feel pure, as guilty as pure, possible. Peer you know? pressure. <laughs> That's right. And same with the podcast, because I know myself well enough to know that I have a really sweet bubble that I live in. But if I'm going to take a really big chance and, and, and um, kind of expose myself to the world, I don't want to do it by myself. Yeah. It's way too scary. And so now, you know, Kim and I do it together and it's a, so much more fun and, and so much more productive because, you know, we're, we're, we're pals. We're doing it together.
0: Yeah. So I want to reiterate as, as we close out this hour, I want to reiterate what Dana had said. It, it always starts with somebody that cares. And you care. So what's the, what's the one thing you want to leave with our listeners as we close out this grand hour of discussion?
2: I mean, I, I, I think for anyone, the most important thing is we can do anything we want to do as long as we recognize that the mind isn't going to help us get there. Right, I think there's so many stories that we tell, you know? And I just think it's important for people to know that if there's anything they want, that it is a hundred percent attainable, you know. And I I talk to people all the time that are like, Oh my god, you left publishing in your late forties. Like, yeah. You know, and I and I came here with an eighty one year old woman who has more energy than I do, you know. So <laughs> yeah you can do anything you want to do
0: well where i I look at it is like we're chapter books, right, and there's many more chapters to be written, so you know some are shorter, some are longer, some are sad, some are happy, yeah, but you know we're ultimately a book and and you have some blank pages ahead of you. you figure out how you want to write them
2: yeah and i think I think the other thing that I would add is self compassion, right like just saying like, Wow like, I do this to myself sometimes, like, wow, this is hard, you know, like, oh, I get it, like, this feels hard today, like, or you're tired, like, what do you need, you know, like, the parenting ourselves part, which is, again, like, what I do with my clients, is, like, teaching people how to parent ourselves, you know, like, I don't want to put myself to bed early either, like, I'd rather sit on my couch and, like, drink tequila and watch Netflix also. Like I really would, but at the end of the day, I'm going to feel like shit the next day if I do that. Right. And so I think helping people understand that, like we do all have to parent ourselves. Like there isn't some secret person that's going to do it. Right. Like it is about really showing up for ourselves and figuring out how we want to feel because we do have one most magical life. Right. And then my last thing is a healthy person wants a lot of things and a sick person wants one thing you know so how do we keep ourselves like how do we worry about health span versus lifespan because we're going to live a long time
0: so lauren if people want to get in touch with you how do they do that
2: uh it's lauren fisher health coaching i'm a virtual health coach so i coach people all over the country in every single time zone right now i have clients in new york chicago dallas tennessee san francisco oh i do have some in los angeles Um, And you can find me on LinkedIn at Lauren Fisher.
0: Great. Thank you. Thanks.
2: We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Thank you for listening. See you next time.